Top hockey coach charged with uttering threats and assault against a child. Record high rents posted in January. GC Strategies, the Ottawa IT firm that made the ArriveCan app, has been given $239 million in contracts from the Trudeau government. Canada calls for a halt to Israel's ground invasion of Rafa. Tobago fights to find out who owns a barge that spilled oil in their waters. And Indonesia's next president will probably be Prabowo. Good morning. It's Thursday, February 15th. I'm Nora coming to you from beautiful Victoria, British Columbia. And here are your headlines. A hockey coach in Espanola, Ontario, has been charged with threatening and assaulting a child. Oh, and the coach happens to be a cop. Melissa Rancourt, the assistant coach for the Espanola Screaming Eagles, is a constable with the Greater Sudbury Police Service. Wait, why do I know that police service again? Oh, right, from last week or maybe two weeks ago when I talked on the Daily News about the allegations that they are one of the sloppiest police forces in Ontario when it came to investigations and evidence. Anyway, she's been a cop for the Sudbury Police Force since 2018. She was charged in an incident that involved a child from another team. Global News' Ryan Roca helpfully quotes the cops, saying that she was not on duty while assaulting and threatening the 12-year-old from the opposing team. Rancour has been suspended with pay because the law does not allow a cop to be suspended without pay. Roca doesn't mention that Rancour made $112,818 last year as a first-class constable. Before she worked for the Sudbury Police, she worked for the police in Espanola. But Roca reports that this is not her first rodeo of discreditable conduct. In 2022, she was found guilty of two counts of discreditable conduct when she refused to show her proof of vaccination at an arena. This lady sounds lovely. There were no injuries to the child resulting from the incident. Next from CBC Business, average rents in Canada hit $2,196 in January, a record high. Jenna Benchertritt from the CBC reports that rents went up an average of $373 per month or by 20% since January 2020. 20%. Remember that number when you hear workers are fighting for double-digit percentage wage increases. Benchertritt explains that, quote, supply struggled to keep up with demand, unquote. The national vacancy rate was the lowest on record since data was tracked in 1988. Now, I love how that's written. Supply struggled to keep up with demand. Not that, you know, things like Airbnb are removing units from the market, as one example. Or another example, I saw someone share on Twitter today a house listing that was being rented as a short-term accommodation. The person had said that four people were evicted from this place to turn it into a single-unit short-term rental for the low price of $15,000 per month. It isn't just a question of supply and demand. There are other forces here at play. Here are some regional stats from the story. Vancouver's rents fell by 3% over last year, but remain the highest in Canada. Rents grew fastest in Edmonton by 17.1%. In Calgary, their rents were up too, by 12.8%. The most expensive one-bedroom apartments can be found in Burnaby at nearly $2,700 per month. Toronto is not far behind that at just over $2,500 per month, and Saskatoon was the cheapest at $1,192 per month. Average rent to live with a roommate rose by 18.5% to $1,010 per month. 
These increases, combined with the rise in cost of food, are devastating and will cause severe harm to society as a whole. If only journalism talked about that more. Now to the federal government's growing corruption problems. It turns out that GC Strategies, the company that was given a contract to create the ArriveCan app, had been also given $239 million worth of contracts since Trudeau was elected prime minister. Holly Cabrera with CBC News reports that the procurement minister, my buddy Jean-Yves Duclos, said that all contracts given to GC Strategies have been halted in November, quote-unquote, out of caution. Part of the findings of federal auditor Karen Hogan, you will remember from earlier this week, was that money couldn't be tracked related to the app's development. She could say that it officially cost close to $60 million, but it's possible it cost far more than that, as record-keeping on costs related to the app were abysmal. GC Strategies has been given 129 contracts since 2015, news that was first broken by La Presse, and two-thirds of that money was given to contracts overseen by Canada Border Services Agency. After that large amount of money, the second biggest amount of money was given to the Treasury Board at $21 million and contracts related to NSERC at $17 million. The RCMP said that they will be assessing the information and, quote, take appropriate action. Now, Radio-Canada has also been digging into this, and they have found that at least 28 of the contracts that went to GC Strategies were sole-sourced, as in they didn't go to tender. Cabrera notes that the owners of GC Strategies have never donated to the Liberals, though she doesn't name the owners. I'd like to see that. I wonder if they're recognizable names. I wonder if they've got a history with the Ontario Liberal Party. That's something that journalists should be looking into next. Next, late last night, Canada issued a joint statement with the Prime Ministers of Australia and New Zealand that called for Israel to stop its planned ground offensive in Rafah. The statement called the campaign, quote-unquote, catastrophic. Quote, with the humanitarian situation in Gaza already dire, the impacts on Palestinian civilians from an expanded military operation would be devastating. We urge the Israeli government to not go down this path. There's simply nowhere else for civilians to go. Unquote. It read. The statement also said that, quote, Palestinian civilians cannot be made to pay the price of defeating Hamas. Unquote. The statement recommitted to Canada's desire to see a two state solution and called for an enduring humanitarian ceasefire. As of 1041 Eastern Standard Time last night, no Canadian news organization had their own story about it, instead, running copy from Reuters that was just lifting from the statement directly. Watch tomorrow to see if Canadian news will question this call, considering Canada's increased arms exports to Israel since October 7th. Since that news was broken by the Maple, it seems that no mainstream outlets have actually picked it up. Now to international news and first to Tobago. That country is dealing with the fallout of a massive oil spill related to a boat capsizing in Tobago's waters. Tobago's chief secretary, Farley Augustine, is calling for the boat's owners to pay for the cleanup, reports the Trinidad Daily Express. It took seven days for the barge to be identified by its owners. Something happened between the barge and a tugboat that led to the barge capsizing and spilling some amount of oil near Canoe Bay. Farley said that the barge was carrying about 5,000 tons of fuel when it capsized, but he couldn't verify this amount without the owners of the barge taking responsibility for the spill. The barge has been identified as the Solo Creed and was going from Panama to Guiana. Reuters is reporting that satellite images show that the oil is slowly going out to sea, and Venezuela has triggered their own watch for the oil to land on their shores. 
And finally to Indonesia, where the most recent defense minister, Prabowo Subianto, has declared victory in the presidential election. The call was made after unofficial results showed that Prabowo was ahead. Prabowo is 72 years old and was a special forces commander, reports Al Jazeera. He's run twice before to be president, and he was at one point the son-in-law of Suharto. A preliminary count showed that Prabowo won 58% of the vote. Anis Bazwedan got 25% and Gango Pranowo was at 17% in the unofficial, though likely accurate count. Neither candidate has conceded yet. Prabowo ran alongside Gibran Rakabuman Raka, who is the son of the outgoing president Joko Widodo, popularly known as Jokowi. Having Jokowi's son now in government will ensure that his control will endure well past his presidency. Al Jazeera quotes Andreka Natalegawa, an associate fellow in Southeast Asian program of the Center of Strategic and International Studies, who said this. The victory marks the final act in Jowoki's political transformation. From humble political outsider and would-be reformist to a savvy political operator who presided over years of democratic backsliding and the founder of a new political dynasty accused of tipping the scales in Wednesday's election. While Jowoki will leave office in October, it is abundantly clear that he will remain a central figure in Indonesian politics for years to come. Those are your headlines for Thursday, February 15th. I'm Nora. You're listening to this podcast at sandyandnora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed and anywhere you get your podcasts. I hope you have a wonderful Thursday and I'll talk to you tomorrow.